Well, this morning, we're starting a brand new series called No, Not Never. I'll explain it more in the message. <laughs> Part of it came on about five years ago. I was contacted by a young lady who was in our youth group 15 years earlier. Uh, this is one of those first what they call legacy moment moments for a minister where you've been doing it so long that people whose lives you touched long time ago, you know, will contact you later in life uh, and, and ask for, you know, more input. And so she had called me, uh, neat young lady. We, we went on mission trips together, and uh, she was on the servant team in the youth group. And I uh, lost, lost touch with her completely because... I can't remember either she graduated or I did something like move to California, you know, who does that these days? Uh, <laughs> actually, fewer and fewer, right? <laughs> and uh, she contacted me, and, you know, we were talking, and I could tell she was kind of discouraged, you know. And so, I mean, she, she was talking about all these decisions she wanted to make. And I said, well, you know, Gina, what, what do you feel like God is telling you to do? And she goes, I don't know. She's like, I kind of feel like God has moved on from me. And she was just so, like, matter-of-fact about that. And it's just that heart, that sentiment, you know. And I, uh, I've lost touch with her since, but I was able to really talk her out of that. I was really able to show her from Scripture that that is not a scripturally accurate sentence to say ever, ever. God does not move on from us. But sometimes it can seem like it. I remember when I was a very young boy, maybe four or five years old, uh, my family would take vacations in northern Michigan. And one of these vacations was to a popular place called East Twin Lake. And it had a big old public beach. And I remember I was so scared to go into the lake because there were monsters in the lake called bass and perch <laughs> and trout. And my brother, as faithfully as most big brothers do, he faithfully assured me that the fish would nibble at my toes and poke at my eyes if I went swimming in the lake. Thank you, big brothers. <laughs> so I would venture out just a little bit to about my ankles, and I would see all these teenagers running out there in the lake, and I'd keep thinking to myself, don't they know that Jaws lives in this lake, you know? It totally defied my mind as to why they would go swimming. And every time I'd go in there, I'd hear, da -da, da -da. you know, I'm looking around, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I'd kind of walk, you know, in the shallow sand and see everybody having a great time. But in my heart, I wanted to go out and be there. I wanted to go where the big kids go. You know, when you're four or five, you want to go where the big kids are. But my aunts, my uncles, my brother, everybody would tease me because they knew I had this fear. This fear, and now the fear was based on a lie, right? But it was a founded fear. If you think you're going to get eaten in the water, you're not going to go in the water. That fear became something that was very hard to live with. Now, my father, my father was a busy man. I've never held this against him. He grew up, we grew up in a blue-collar town, Detroit, Michigan. He was a busy man. He uh, grew up in a generation where it was expected of him to work long hours, uh, to take care of his family, to provide for our needs, and of course to carry out the discipline, right? So my father was kind of stoic as the day is long. 
But that day, I remember, he was at the beach with us. He wasn't working. And so I began, I don't know why, I just began to ask him about the deep end and how, to, how would I be able to get into the lake. And he kind of looked at me, because I'm telling him, like, you know, I don't want the trout to poke out my eyes, and I don't want the perch to eat my feet, you know. And he's kind of looking at me, and he kind of realizes what has happened, you know. My aunts, my uncles, my brother, they have been torturing me. And so, you know, he goes, that's not going to happen. The fish are far more afraid of you than you are of them. The moment you start walking around, watch, they'll scurry everywhere. They get out of our way. He said, they didn't have teeth. They can't only have teeth to eat you with. He said, Tom, they're just teasing you. Now, here's the funny thing. My dad, to this day, he's not a man of many words. When you meet him, you're not going to get a soliloquy or a paragraph out of him. You might. You might get a sentence. And if you do, amen. But, but I can tell you this. In the 50 years I've known my father, he wasn't perfect, but he never lied to me. He never lied to me. Even when I asked him if Santa Claus was real, he dude my mother would get mad if he told me the truth, so he'd just change the subject. But he never lied to me. And so he said, look, grab on, and I'll take you to the deep end of the lake. And you know, I, I have don't have many memories of my dad because he worked so hard. I feel like I didn't see him much as a child. But I remember he just stuck his arm out and he just kind of went like that and he said, grab on. And now I remember just those, those big arms and those, those big hands. They just looked so strong. And I, I'm a little kid, so I just grab on like I'm grabbing onto a monkey bars. And he starts walking out. Of course, I'm looking down <laughs> as I see the lake get deeper and deeper. And I see his brown, I can remember it today, his brown bathing suit with a white stripe. It was 1979. And we went out to the deep part of the lake. And he said, all right. And he shook me off. And as I went to fall, I thought I was going to be over my head. And for some reason, this lake, you could go out, walk out like 200 feet, and you're still like waist deep, you know. So here I am, just kind of waist deep, and I'm out there where the big kids are on a sandy bottom lake. Now, here's the point. Had I thought my father a liar, I would have never hopped onto his arms. Had I not trusted in those big arms, that he would somehow drop me, I would have never hopped onto those arms. Had I not trusted those big hands to yank me up if I freaked out once I got in the water, I would have never went. I would have never ventured out of the shallows. It was one of my dad's shining moments. In fact, I know one day years from now, hopefully, my dad will pass away. And people have asked me, what story would you share of your father? Would you share, you know, how he worked for Chevrolet and how he, no, no. I'll share the day that my dad was probably the closest example of God to me.
and he wasn't wasn't that example very often. But I can look back to that day and say, that day he was. You know, many of you know, I went back to Michigan this August, and as I was preparing for the series, I, I asked him if he remembered that story. He said, no, I don't. You know why? Because for him, it was just business as usual. You don't need to be afraid. Hop on. I'll take you out to the deep end. But for me, it was the greatest day of my life because I realized Jaws didn't live in East Twin Lake and that even if he did, my dad would have warned me and would have yanked me out of there if there was any danger. And that's how God is. Ask yourself, has God ever lied to you? Now, maybe you didn't understand what God was saying. Or maybe you thought God said something and he ended up meaning something else. I can tell you this right now. God has never lied to you. Can you trust in the big arms of Jesus? Oh, you can. Oh, you can. I've made some doozy, dumb mistakes in my life. Forget about my personal life. I've made some doozy, dumb mistakes as a pastor that I should have been fired over. No, I don't have a mistress. No, nothing like that. One time as a youth pastor, I screwed up $18,000 for the church. I thought I'd be fired on the spot. And, uh, and they just said, we'll get through this. We'll teach you how to manage church money. Boy, did they ever. <laughs> but the point is, we will never learn what it means to be in a relationship with God until we learn to relate to Him as Father, God as Father. I have a few scriptures I want to show to you real quick. The first one is in Isaiah. Uh, chapter four, 64, verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I'm going to throw a few of them at you. God says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the Lord God. This is describing the relationship that God wants to have with you. This is the really kind of relationship he wants. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. Paul says, "And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father." Abba is the Aramaic way of saying, you may know it, Daddy. 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 And, of course, the same verse, uh, Paul writes almost the same in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. God doesn't want you to be his slave, fearful, every day that you're not measuring up to his call. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When I was a uh, youth pastor, we went down to the Los Angeles Dream Center the, 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 on a mission trip. And we were out uh, actually in Hollywood, so it was a little bit away from the Dream Center. We were talking with people on the street. And one of these guys, he, I walk up and he goes, oh yeah, come on, try to save my soul. You know, <laughs> he knew, it, he knew he saw, he saw it a mile away what was happening and so 
he said, you know, I said, well, he's like, tell me about God. And I said, well, he's your heavenly father. And he goes, no, 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 stop right there. He goes, that's not the best way to reach me. So I said, but do you know how great the father's love is for you? He goes, oh, you're a terrible evangelist. <laughs> he goes, trust me, if God was anything like my dad, I want nothing to do with him. So when we go down this road, we have to acknowledge that for some of us, maybe not all of us, or even some of us at portions in our lives, we might even agree with the very same sentiment. If God was anything like our earthly fathers, we don't want anything to do with them. Dr. H. Norman Wright, in 2005, he wrote one of the most prolific books on counseling, psychology, and human behavior. And in it, he states that longing for a father's blessing, a father's approval, and a father's attention to hear the words, I love you and I am proud of you, is the deepest longing for every human being. Uh, renowned psychologist Peggy Drexler, uh, she researched and found that 75% of all women live and make decisions in their daily lives with an unseen hunger for the approval of their father. And get this, they want approval from their father, whether their father was good or whether their father was bad, was horrible. Whether he was father of the year or master manipulator, 75% of women have a filter in their decision making. Saying, will this get my father's approval? So she says, so profound is the concept of father on us females. A leading author on male development, Frank Pittman, he said, life for most boys and many grown men is a search for a lost father who has not yet offered their approval. Without this approval, we can be left to feel condemned, forsaken, even abandoned. Now some of us, we've had the blessing of a good father in our lives. And some of us have not. And some of us may have had it for a time, but somehow or another it may have slipped away. Maybe the approval was never quite there the way it should have been. Or maybe the approval was performance-based, conditions that your father set that seemed way too hard or almost impossible to meet. For many of you, when we start talking about dads, Here's often the feeling, Tom, don't go there. Don't go there. We're not going there. I don't want to go there. It's like opening up a door that you've kept locked for so many years. And believe me, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's mind, anybody's heart, or anybody's emotions. I've been a full-time minister for almost 24 years. And I can tell you this right now, as people begin to make peace with what happened with their earthly fathers, it revolutionizes their relationship with their heavenly father. And that's my job, to help us all get closer to God. So I don't go down this road tongue-in-cheek like I'm some sort of trained counselor able to help you maneuver all that. That's why we have ministries like Kingdom Community. That's why there's counselors out there. They can take you through that deep ocean. But we do have to go through that deep ocean. 
because our image of God the Father is very much affected by our image of our earthly father. The most awkward holiday in America is Father's Day, right? For me, it's the best barbecue day in America. But, you know, having said that, remember, even Jesus' earthly father wasn't perfect. Jesus had Joseph. Joseph wasn't perfect. He was like you and I. In fact, there were probably times where Jesus said, Really, Dad? You call that a table? Come on, Dad. Seriously, Dad, you got that for Mom's birthday? I mean, you know, Jesus had, to, Jesus had an imperfect father just like we had. Nevertheless, Jesus came to redeem the word Father. Because that's what he is. He wants to redeem the word father from a performance-based conditional relationship to a grace-based relationship filled with unconditional love. Our new series is called No, Not, Never. And it is the father's attitude, attitude toward each and every one of us. And it's based off two scriptures. The first scripture is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If you know no other scripture in the Bible, this one will see you through. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's irrelevant for God to condemn you when he went to the cross to redeem you. Right? The second scripture may be a little less familiar but no less important, and that comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where God said, never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, what does condemned mean? Condemned means punished, right? Yeah. Condemned means punished. What does forsaken mean? It means rejected. What does abandoned mean? It means forgotten. If I were to do a straw poll here, how many times your earthly fathers made you feel punished, rejected, forgotten, abandoned, forsaken, condemned, I, I'm sure probably most hands would go up, including my own kids at times. I'm not a perfect dad. The beauty of God as father is you can erase that entire slide right there. He will never, all the punishment was placed on Jesus at the cross. If he disciplines you, he disciplines you out of love. God will never punish you because that punishment went to Jesus on the cross. He won't reject you. You might say, why? Why does God not reject? Because you're in his family. I can tell you this. Growing up in an Italian, Irish, Polish family like I did in Detroit, they may have hated each other, but they never rejected each other. They had this saying, blood is thicker than water. With God, the blood of Jesus is thicker than the water of sin. Amen? No, con no not never is this. No condemnation ever. Not forsaken ever and never abandoned. That is God's commitment 
and the foundation of his relationship with you. Whenever you got a problem with God, just remember, no, not never. No condemnation, not forsaken, never abandoned. Never abandoned means God's always with you. And that'll really freak you out. You know, I one time we were uh, kind of, you know, ministering to a pastor who uh, he had made a mistake, went somewhere he shouldn't. So we had to go and do the discipline. And you can guess where he went and where he shouldn't have been. As we were driving home, the other pastor said, do you think you'd ever be tempted into something like that? I said, no. First of all, I love my wife. And second of all, you bring God with you. If God is truly in us, he goes wherever we go. I would never want to bring God in there. I'd feel it from the moment I walk through the door. How that works and that application works on the flip side. Never are we abandoned or forgotten. No matter what dark hole life may have us end up in at some point. You're never there alone. Never there alone. I, uh, I remember the first time I told my dad that I wanted to go into ministry. Oh, he barely had an answer. <laughs> so, it was kind of like, work for a church? <laughs> Good luck with that. You know, was, uh, I mean, it was almost a little tongue-in-cheek. And he spent many years trying to talk me out of what he called his, my vow of poverty. That's what he called it, my vow of poverty. But I could tell what the real problem with him was. As he talked with his buddies, you know, all his buddies had kids and they were opening up their own businesses or they were, they were teachers and professors. They were all these things that, you know, lawyers, accountants, you know, the kinds of things that men like to say their sons are becoming. And I could tell the words evangelical preacher just couldn't come out of his mouth, you know? <laughs> I think he probably said something like, well, we're working on that kid. He's a work in progress right now. <laughs> he didn't have to say it, but he didn't have to. I knew I did not have his approval to go into this life. And if I was going to become a pastor, I'd do it alone. It'd be me and God. <laughs> That was it in the very beginning. <clears throat> and, you know, he wouldn't always remind me of how I walked away from. I got the chance to go to a foreign school, foreign schools, for some reason, even though I didn't that do that great in high school, they seemed to want to, they seemed to put an extra premium on that. So I was getting scholarship offers from a lot of different places. And I know my dad was like, Tom, how can you walk away from that? I didn't see it as walking away from that, but walking into my call. But it's very hard to explain when someone just doesn't approve of the decision. And I know for many years it was a hard pill for my father to swallow. And I didn't have his approval. Nor did we speak of it for nearly eight years. But eight years after I first started working for a church, by the way, the first church I started working for, <laughs> I made $800 a month, <laughs> which is not a lot of money. Uh, maybe, you know, I hope you know that. <laughs> it was not a lot of money. It wasn't a lot of money then. It's a lot of money now. And I remember when I told him that, I could just see this, oh, goodness, you know, just like, like how are you going to survive? Well, the good thing is when you live in a ghetto, you know, things are a little bit cheaper. 
And so somehow or another in the ghetto of Seattle, we survived. But uh, about eight years later, the Foursquare Church and its infinite wisdom decided that I was up for ordination to become an ordained pastor. They figured, oh, if you stayed with it for eight years, you'll probably keep with it. So I asked my father, and I don't even know why. They asked me for three people to speak at it. So one was Jim Hayford, who was our district supervisor. Uh, another was my senior pastor that I worked for. They said, you can have one more. I just, I just, to this day, I don't even know how it came out of my mouth. But I said, I'd like my dad to speak at my ordination. Even after I said it, I was like, did I just say my dad? You know, I was like an out-of-body experience, but I just couldn't take it back, you know. So my dad, uh, he came and he spoke at my ordination. I'm thinking, I have a man I know doesn't approve of this choice coming to speak at my ordination. What is he going to say? And in that speech, he said something that totally shocked me. He said, I pledge to work as hard as I can to help my son in the ministry. And I challenge the Foursquare Church, and I challenge you as his pastor to work as hard as you can to invest in my son's ministry. First of all, I thought, that's it. I'm going to get fired. He just challenged my boss, all right? He wasn't just my pastor. I worked for the guy, you know? So this, I'm thinking to myself, that's it. I'm going <laughs> to, well, if you, Dad, if you wanted to sabotage my ministry, you just did it perfectly, you know? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> after the message, you know, Foursquare never did a thing. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, and I knew that going in. And my pastor, he just kind of laughed it off and said, you ought to be happy you got a job. You ever boss like that? You know, you should just be happy you got a job. What did my dad do? said, I'll buy your books. Now, I don't, I don't mean anything against our denomination. I don't mean to throw mud on my former pastor. But the two entities I thought would approve and make an investment into my ministry didn't end up doing it at all. And the one guy who I thought Hades would have to freeze over before he ever supported the ministry comes up and says, I'll buy your books. And then from there, he said, I'm going to pay for this class. I want, you know, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened after eight years, but I can look back now and say, part of the reason I am here today and the man I've become is because my father, who didn't approve of my choice, he approved of me. And 24, <laughs> Amen. And 24 years later, here I am, you know. Oddly enough, he has come around, and he, he, he agrees that this was the life I was supposed to live. But the funny thing was, my dad was by no means a perfect father. We spent many years very distant. But over the long haul of life, I was able to do something I never thought I'd be able to do. I was able to make peace with the fact that my father, he was just like me, imperfect, had his geeky side to him, had his weaker side to him, had his strong points. He was just a man like I was. The older I got and the more I began to see his struggles and hear about his, the things he went through in life, I began to realize that some of the things I held against him could very easily one day my sons could hold against me. There is no perfect fathers this side of heaven. So sometimes we have to walk away and say, you know what? I need to let this go with my dad. I need to let this go. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. 
And my very first point is this. Make peace with your feelings about your dad. Make peace with your feelings about your dad. Maybe you were condemned by your earthly dad. Maybe you were forsaken. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe you were lied to. Maybe you were hurt, rejected, made to feel devalued. Maybe you were ignored or you were held to a standard that nobody could ever meet. I can tell you this right now. If that was you and that was your father, your your dad either needed or needs Jesus just as much as the rest of us do. One of my best friends in life, uh, his father was sent to war before he was born. For the first two years of his life, those first two years, father-son bonding are very critical. So the fir- for the first two years, rather than able to be spending time with his son, he's over in Korea stuffing guts of U.S. soldiers back into their bellies and then shipping them off. Remember MASH? He was the guy before MASH on the front lines wrapping them all up, trying to keep them alive so that the helicopter could take them to a MASH. When you spend two years doing that, it does something to you. I don't know what, we can call it PTSD. I think PTSD doesn't even scratch the surface of what that kind of stuff would do to a man. But Korea ends, you come home, and all of a sudden, you got a two-year-old boy sitting there. You weren't there really for his birth. You weren't there for his first steps. His first words were obviously mama. And all of a sudden, there's a relationship between a father and son that has to take place. And so... For my friend, that whole relationship was skewed from the very beginning. There was distance. There was a lack of closeness. There was a sense that there was a sort of a persona that could never be met. And there was a lot of friction and anger for many, many years until we were able to sit down and say, you know what? Your dad was a man just like us. And who's to say if we weren't stuffing people's guts back into their bodies while our first sons were being born, that that wouldn't have messed with us either. Yeah, Tom, you're right. Let's pray. Let's pray about this. We can get past this. Let's learn to make peace with Dad. And as I've seen that process happen to my friend, I have seen the fire and the relationship with God and the peace, the subsiding of that. He used to have a residual anger about him all the time. I've seen that kind of just go away. In fact, if there's any zeal, I see him now. It's the zeal of the Lord that comes upon him as he's been able to let go of the weaknesses of the earthly father and embrace the no, not, never of our heavenly father. Number two. Don't believe most of what you hear about God. Don't believe most of what you hear about God. Well, my Uncle Jed said at a birthday party 10 years ago that God is this, 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 this. Does, you, does Uncle Jed know anything? Does, is he qualified at all to speak on God? I mean, has he gone to a monastery for five years and really sought this out? You know, oh, well, they said on the news that God, was a, does the news person really, you know, be very, I'll tell you something right now. What I do here, I do with such fear you can't even imagine it. 
I have abdominal cramping over the fact that I come before you and I am trying to teach you the Word of God. I went to school 10 years for it, and still to this day, I go through every single line to make sure I am telling you the exact truth. Don't let some comment that somebody made that could have been just as much influenced by their pizza or their beer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh, I think God is... Just be very careful. God is the most loving, awesome dad you could ever imagine. And let's face it, you can't really imagine it. We can't really imagine it. But don't believe everything you hear about God, number two. Number three, God will not move on without you. God will not move on without you. You may say, man, I've been stuck in my relationship with God for 20 years. And God has been there every second of the way. And he simply won't move on without you. Now, to some degree, God may say, if you want to be stuck for another 20 years, then just do nothing. And I'll just stay here with you, stuck. But God also says, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to be stuck. I'm right here. I was here 20 years ago. I'm here in this very moment. And if you want to move forward, today is the day. Let's do it. But God will not move on without you. He'll patiently stay and be by your side for years. God does not walk out on you. You may have had people walk out on you. You may have had an earthly father walk out on you. God and your earthly father couldn't be more further apart. God is not our earthly dads. I love my dad. I'm proud that I came through him. But that's really what happened. I came from my father, through my father, but I came from God, and we're returning to him. And then finally, number four, let no, not, and never be the basis of your relationship with God. Like you, I have hard times hit. I have confusing things hit. 9-11 is a little confusing for me. I, like you, think, God, how could you allow these deranged people to fly a jet into a skyscraper? And all the, I, I mean, I have that too, and I start to get angry and mad, and it buttons me all up inside. And I got to go back to no, not, never. However it happened, it wasn't because of condemnation, it wasn't because we're forsaken, and it isn't because we're abandoned. So everything we walk through, the good, the bad, and the... There is therefore now no condemnation. You are not forsaken. And you will never be abandoned. That's how much God loves you. That's how committed he is to you. You may say, all right, God, prove it. Those are great words for the pastor to say, but prove it. I will direct your attention to the cross at the back of the wall there. That's what proves it. Right there. Long before you were ever born, God provided a way for no condemnation, not forsaken, and never abandoned. By your heads, worship team, come forward. Before I close, I'll close with a story. 14-year-old 
Tice Pender of Casey, South Carolina, was being investigated by the Board of Equalization because he had started a lawn mowing business and he was only 14. We have child labor laws in this country. And so he was being investigated. So he told the code enforcer, well, I have to make money. She said, what, do you want to buy a video game? He said, no, it's not for a video game. He said, well, you want a new bike? No, it's not for a new bike. You want to go to the movies? Ma'am, no, it's not, so I can go to the movies. Well, then what are you doing this for? You're too young to be doing this. He said, because my foster family that I lived with said that if I came up for the money for the adoption, they would adopt me. I don't know about you, but I think that foster family should be slapped forever saying such a thing. But I say that story to say this. You will never have to pay for your adoption to become a son or a daughter of God. You will never have to pay to be adopted and have the right to call God your Father. You will never have to pay so that you can say, I am in the family of God. Because Jesus already paid for all of that when He died for you on the cross. Please bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. If you can do this this morning, do it. If you can't, don't. But I want you to pray with me. Pray with me a prayer to make peace with whatever happened, good or bad, with your earthly father. By the way, some of the good ones, great. Still don't compare to God the Father, but great. I'm happy for you. Mine started out, we had a bad relationship, we're ending up best friends. I hope that happens for all of you if your dads are still alive. But even for those who have passed, we can make peace in our hearts this morning. Repeat after me, say, Holy Spirit, this morning I purpose to forgive and let go of all of the negative, sinful, unhealthy patterns of my earthly father. I pray you would heal me of the effects that were not of you that he did. And I embrace you as my father. And I declare that there is no condemnation. I am not forsaken. I will never be abandoned. In the name of Jesus, amen.